Welcome to Austin Chapel. Hey, Tally, can we turn this just a little bit down? Uh, just a little bit. There we go. Um, well, it's Memorial Day weekend. You guys are the few who aren't at the beach or camping or in Florida, apparently. Right? So what I want you to do is I want you after this service today to text all those people that are doing those other things and be like, you missed out. <laughs> that way you don't feel like you missed out on camping or the beach. <laughs> I'm just messing around. So uh, I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, I am excited to continue in our Holy Holy series. Today we are going to be um, talking about personal holiness. And uh, that's the title for the sermon, Personal Holiness. And we're going to be going over this idea, or really continuing this idea of holiness. Why is it important? Why, should, why we should care? And why God cares so much about it? Let's uh, go ahead and just pray, and we will dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, thank you for all that you have done, Lord. Lord, I pray that this time would be a time where we... Walk away encouraged, um, that we walk away filled with joy, um, knowing more about who you are and who we are, God. Um, that this wouldn't be a time where we walk away with guilt or condemnation, Lord. We walk away um, knowing more fully our identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have seen the movie Lion? Recently came out. It's got uh, the guy from uh, Dev. What is his name? I looked it up and then at Patel. Yeah, okay. He's from Slumdog Millionaire, right? Melissa and I was watching the movie. I was like, "Oh, it's the Slum." <laughs> I was like, "It looks like Slumdog Millionaire too," <laughs> like because it's the same actor in India again, as he's a child getting lost and all this stuff. And I was like, "This looks like Slumdog Millionaire." The plot is actually totally different. Melissa's like, it's not even the same actor. That's racist. I was like, it is the same actor. I don't, I'm not saying all Indian people look alike. That's what she thought I was saying. Like, I had to prove to her it was the same actor. I wasn't being racist. <laughs> uh, I watched the movie Lion, and the plot of this movie is this five-year-old boy goes um, a little ways away with his brother to go work. But he falls asleep on a bench, and his, his, his brother's like, okay, stay here, and I'll come back. Go do the, they're doing some night work. I'll come back for you, and, and we'll, then we'll go home. Well, his brother goes to do the night work, and he wakes up, and um, he's five years old, and he doesn't stay at the bench, and he starts walking around. He's confused. He's not sure why he was there, you know, all these things. And he ends up getting on this empty decommissioned train, and he accidentally falls asleep on the train. And somebody takes that decommissioned train 1,600 kilometers to Calcutta with him on it. He's the only person on it, and it doesn't stop. And he's freaking out. And he gets separated from his family, his brother and his mom. And in the movie, um, his mom, this is all based on a true story, his, his mom doesn't know how to read or write. Um, she's just a laborer. Um, he has no way to find her. He's five years old. He only knows the name of his town, which apparently no one in Calcutta recognizes. Um, and through a series of uh, unfortunate events, he ends up in an orphanage, and then he is adopted um, by some Australian um, people and he moves to Australia. In the movie, 25 years later, when he's 30 years old, he becomes obsessed with the idea of finding out who he really is and what his home is. And he uses Google Earth and the few images he has in his head, searching all of India on Google Earth to find home. Pretty powerful story. There's a, there's a scene in the movie where 
he is hanging out with a group of friends, and a bunch of them are new friends to him, and they ask them, well, where are you originally from? Because he's obviously not from Australia. And he says, Calcutta. And then they're having an Indian meal, and he sees these treats that he always wanted when he was a kid but they could never afford. And he has this moment, he just kind of breaks down, and this girl he's talking to, and he says, I'm not from Calcutta, I'm lost. And that spoke to me in a really powerful way because I feel as though, you know, we as humanity are seeking identity. Um, For many people in the world, we are asking questions of who am I? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Um, I believe that all people deep down know they're lost. There's something more to life than what is here. Deep down, they feel it. I'm not home. I'm lost. Who am I? Why am I here? I believe we seek identity that goes, you know, deeper than being of the human species or a gender, nationality, social status, profession, or even our personality. We seek an identity that is deeper than that. And so all of those questions we ask about the meaning of life really all come down to who am I? What am I supposed to do? And I believe that the Bible answers all of these questions and it even tells us why we feel the way we do if you don't know Jesus. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created man in his own image. There is something extremely special about humanity. We're not like a tree. We're not like a dog. And we know that deep down that we aren't just cells. We're not just atoms. There's something more. And it's because deep down we know that we were created in the image of God. Now we may try to deny it. Many people do, right? Many people run from that concept. But we know deep down that there's something more to life. And that is because we were created in the image of God. But sin... Mess that up. Sin caused a divide. Sin separates us from God. It separates us from the true identity that we were created for. And so when, when a person feels lost, when, they, when they're seeking the meaning of life, the answer is that you were created in the image of God. And there needs to be a way for you to be reconciled to Him. Reconciled to your true identity as a human. So that you're not like Saru and Lion feeling Lost, not knowing who you are or where home is. We talked about last week. This whole series is about holiness, not about perfection. We talked about the difference between those. When I say be holy, when the Bible says be holy, it's not saying be perfect. It's saying Live in the calling that you already have. The Bible says that you are set apart. That's what holy is. God is set apart. He is different. He is unique. He is special. And when you are saved by the power of the gospel, by Jesus Christ, you are set apart. You are made holy. And so when we as believers then refuse sin and and instead try to live in that holiness, we are really being holy. 
We're living in the identity that is true about us, that we are set apart, that we are different, that we are special, that he has a calling on our life, that there's purpose to what we do, that there's meaning for every moment of our life. That's what holiness is all about, to recognize your identity. So when you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you receive the gospel, you have faith that he died and rose again, you are saved, you are justified in the heavenly realms. The Bible says that you are already, you know, it's like as if you are already glorified, you're already with him in spirit. Because it's promised, and when God promises something, it's as if it's already done in the heavenly realms. So this is all true of us. We are already holy. We are already justified. Then there's what we know in scripture as the process of sanctification is where we start living like it. It's not earning it. It's you start living in the identity that's already been given to you by Jesus Christ. And so we said last week that it begins with devotional holiness, simply recognizing that he is holy, worshiping him for the fact that he's holy, praising him, adoring him, giving thanks to him. And then this week we're going to look at ourselves. So the four parts are really four directions in which we look um, through the lens of holiness. To God, at ourselves, to others, and then to mission. It's four directions in which we look. And so last week we said we're looking to God, we're viewing Him for His holiness, we're worshiping Him, we're adoring Him. And this week we're going to look at our own personal selves and say, all right, how do I be holy when it comes down to things that really are just about like me, in my personal life. As Peter said in 1 Peter one uh, fourteen, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In all your conduct. And so this week we're going to look at... Um, our own personal holiness. Next week we'll look about holiness as in regards to relationships. But this week I want you to really just think about you. Just you. And who you are. Do you feel lost or do you know who you truly are in Christ Jesus? Melissa, I swear you must have read my notes because what you were saying about the good, good father song was so spot on with this message. Um... We must recognize our identity before we even start talking about morality. I think a lot of times we skip the whole identity part and we just like to go straight to morality. Oh, you're saved? Okay, this is what you need to do. You need to do this, 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 this. Don't do those, 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 those. Right? But the Bible wants us to realize who we are. Focus in on that and then you live out of it. And so couple verses that just remind us of who we are in Christ, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Does it say that you are trying to be a chosen people, that you're trying to be a royal priesthood, that you're trying to be a holy nation, that you're trying to be God's special possession? It doesn't say that. It says that you are. You are those things. It's true of you. So just start living in that reality. And anything that doesn't line up with who you are, get rid of it. My old pastor, Scott, he used to say to his kids, um, this is some of his parenting advices, when they would catch one of their kids lying, 
They would say, you're a truth teller. Live like it. They wouldn't say, you little liar, why'd you lie? He's like, I'm not going to speak that identity into my son. I'm going to remind him of who he is. He's a truth teller. And this is unlike him. He's not going to lie because that's not who he is. It's the same thing for us. We need to recognize who we are. You're no longer a sinner. If you've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer lost. You are a son. You are an heir. You're a, you're a daughter. You're a new creation. So just live like it. It's already true of you. So get rid of the things that don't. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Another translation says that He's lavished upon us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. We have this promise of glorification. One day we will be fully made like Him. This is true of us in the heavenly realms. And that's what we're waiting upon. But He says that we have to recognize the love that He's poured out upon us. The love that He's lavished upon us to call us children. Do you recognize who you are? In Jesus Christ, you have been made a son, a daughter, an heir. You are God's special possession. And he views you that way. And so we must live accordingly. James 1.21, it says, Therefore put away all filth, filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Put away those things of old. Put away sin. Put away filthiness. Put away wickedness and receive the word. Receive what he wants to do. And it says it's implanted in us and it starts growing. And so when we get into scripture, when we start listening to what he says about us. What he says about our identity. And we let that grow in our hearts and our minds. Then we, we begin to see good works in our lives. We begin to see full repentance where we truly just start hating those things of old instead of just kind of missing them. Receive with meekness the implanted word. First Timothy 4, 7, it says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while, the, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See that? You're... Already saved, you're justified, There's the promise is there, you're already a son or daughter of the living king. But it says we still got to train ourselves, right? We still got to learn to look like what we actually are. Start cleaning off some of those things of old and take on the new calling he has for your life. Take on those good works that he says he predestined before the beginning of time for you to do. Do you realize that? That God, God knew the future. He, I mean, he's outside of time. And he had specific things that he wants you to do. That he's planned for you to do. I think that's amazing. We as the entire church are God's special possession. But you also need to realize that you specifically are God's special possession. And he views you that way. You know, I... Uh, when we found out Melissa was 
pregnant the second time, which we ended up having a, a miscarriage. But um, I remember telling Melissa, I was like, and I'd had this conversation with her before. I'm like, I love Lincoln so much. I just hope that I love the second kid as much. <laughs> right? Uh, because it was like, I, like, I honestly, I'm like, I'm not sure I can love another kid this much, you know? But I, I've talked to parents who have multiple kids. I've talked to parents who've had five kids. They're like, no, you love all of them. You really do. You, you can't explain it, but you love them all equally. They've got their problems. They've got their good things about each one. But you learn to, you love them, like, specifically. And God loves each one of his children specifically in a very special way. And it's a love that is beyond your works. It's based upon your identity that you're a child. And we get this all mixed up in, in Christianity. We think, oh, God must love him or her more because they don't do that thing that I do all the time. They don't mess up as much. They go to church more regularly. God must love them more. But is that how parents view their children? That their love changes based upon the child's works? No. They love their good child as much as their rebellious child. They obviously want to work on their rebellious child. They want them to change. and They want them to grow. And they want to discipline them to help them. And, and so that they will have a better life in the future. But that's because they love them. And the Bible says that if God disciplines you and chastises you, it's because he's your father. And he's shown you that you're a child of God. The love doesn't change. Maybe the discipline does, right? You don't ground your whole family because one kid messed up, right? That kid gets grounded. So there's, there is things that go along with your sin. There's punishment for it. There's discipline for it. But the love doesn't change. And there are rewards for doing good things, aren't there? But the love doesn't change. You're loved as a child and you're loved very specifically because each one of you are special to God. That's so important for us to remember. And I don't know about you, but that's, that makes me want to serve God. Right? The whole earning my salvation thing. Like, I know I can't do that. <laughs> you know? I know I'm imperfect. I know that I fall short. And his love is what compels us. His love is what drives us. When you really get into the word and you see that he loves you anyways. You see that he knew that you were going to do that when he was on the cross. He's died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. That makes me like, that blows my mind. So that I can continue and just say, you know, you, you love me. You have a calling on my life. And it makes me want to live a more holy life because of his love, not because of fear, not because of condemnation or, or, or guilt, but because he loves me. Second Corinthians seven one, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. See that? Since we have these promises, you already have them. Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we have these promises, church, the idea of fear here is reverence, respect, 
We already have the promises, so we start living like it. We, we cleanse ourselves from all sorts of defilement. Corinthians 3, sorry, Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There are so many spiritual truths in this very short passage. If you have been raised with Christ, it's why the resurrection is so important, and it's why baptism is so important. Baptism represents that you died with Christ and you rose with Christ. So if you have raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Man, it is so important that we as believers, wrap our minds around this truth. I am dead to sin and I am alive in Christ. That's where all the power is. That's where our entire faith rests. I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. Death has no more power over me. Sin has no more power over me because I have been made new. I have been raised with him. That is what we need to wrap our minds around. We need to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are here on earth. And that gets kind of tricky, right? It's like, well, I have to work, and I have to eat, and I have to... Right? So obviously, it's not saying that. Jesus did, Jesus did all those things. Jesus worked. Jesus ate. Jesus had friendships. Jesus did all these things. But his mind, through all of that, was set on the things that are above. Continually, Jesus was recognizing who he was as the son. And everything Jesus did was an example for us. That we would live our lives recognizing that we're a son and we're an heir, that we're a child of God. We have to get the identity right. You know, I was thinking about the story of the prodigal son. This kid's got everything in the world. He says, hey, give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. Give it to me now. And he goes and he blows all the money. He's left with nothing. Can you imagine? You're left with nothing. You've blown all of your inheritance. And imagine you're just sleeping on the streets. You're sleeping in a pigsty. Like, you're sleeping in the mud. When the prodigal son repented, he had a... The word repentance means a change of mind, a change of heart. Did he repent and then go earn back all that money? Did he repent and fix everything? Did he repent and make sure he could pay his father back? No, what did he do? He changed his mind and realized he was a son. And he went home. That's what repentance is. Going home. It's going back to what you were created for. 
The Bible says that you were created in the image of God. Repent and go home. Repent and go be a child that you were created to be. It doesn't say repent and go earn the, all the things that you blew, all the money you blew. Don't go earn it back. Don't get a job. Don't clean yourself up. Just go home. Run back to the Father's arms. You know, I'll punish Lincoln sometimes, and then he just wants me to hold him. <laughs> like, it's the weirdest thing. Tell him, no, don't do that. He gets mad, he throws a fit, and then he wants me to hold him. <laughs> like, that's what we need to do, church. If, you, if you've ran off, if there's areas where you're stumbling, if there's areas where you're still weak, just run to the Father's arms. That's what repentance is. Just go home to Him. Recognize your identity is in your sonship, your daughtership, your, that you're a child of God. So when it comes to us living holy lives, the first thing we have to do is just focus on identity. A friend of mine, I was listening, to, he's a pastor in, in, in Portland. And uh, I was listening to one of his, his most recent sermons, and he was talking about we need to stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. Because our minds will just go all sorts of places. But if you go to the Word of God and you start telling yourself, no, this is what's true. Right? Because here's the thing, you, you get into some sin, you, you, you get back into some of your old ways, you feel really guilty, you feel condemned, you feel broken. You know what the Bible tells us to do? To go to the Word. Let that Word be implanted in us. So start preaching yourself, saying, no, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a child of God. Tell yourself that. Preach to yourself. That's why it's so important to be in the Word. And then preach to yourself. Don't let your mind and your heart just determine everything. Let the Word of God tell you what to believe. The Word of God tell you how to feel about situations. I mean, there's, there's times you'll be in trials, but the Bible said, take, take heart, you, you know, to count it as joy. And that's a powerful thing. But that's not a natural thing. It's not a natural thing at all. When trials come, you want to freak out, you want to worry, you want to get angry. The Bible says, count it as joy. There's so many things in Scripture where if we would just preach to ourselves instead of listening to our emotions, listening to our heart, the outcome would be so much different. So get in the Word, church. Listen to what he has to say about every part of your life, and then preach those things to yourself. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you poured upon us, God. Lord, I thank you for calling us your children. Lord, for the blessings that come with that. God, I pray that 
just as your scripture said, that there wouldn't be condemnation or guilt in this room, but we would recognize that there is life through Christ. There is life in the Spirit. There is so much good that you want for our lives that we can easily attain just by faith, Lord. But we instead get stuck in our heads and stuck in our emotions and stuck in old patterns. Instead of really turning to your word, remembering who we are, remembering that we're a child of God, that we have been found, we're no longer lost. Jesus, I pray that each one of us right now would feel your presence, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That this wouldn't just be another Sunday, Lord, but just speak to us. For that every single person in here feels loved by you, Lord. That they feel special, God. That you view them as special. And we start living in that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.